This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Has your pastor preached about Facebook settings or surveillance cameras? Mine hasn't. Does the Bible say anything about online privacy? And is Alexa actually listening to us while we record this podcast? This is Device and Virtue. Hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we say there's two sides to every device, but for Christians, there's a third way. I'm Chris. Uh, I'm coming to you from Chicago with my buddy, Adam. Hello, Adam. Hi, Chris. How are you? Uh, doing good, man. How's it going? I'm well. Uh, you know, we're talking about privacy today. and That's true. Uh, I'm so I'm, excited about this. Yeah. You know, and like the bellwether of privacy in my mind is Alexa, and uh so before this... Could, did, before, could you not say that too loudly? Cause, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Alexa. <laughs> right. <laughs> what, what, why shouldn't I say it too loudly, Chris? Because I'm, I'm recording like right next to this thing. <laughs> and you're afraid Alexa's listening in? Um, well, she's going to hear it if you talk. It's uh, not a she. It's an it. <laughs> oh, man. I just used oh. a personal pronoun for uh, technology. I'm going to blow don't, don't gender your technology. gasket. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's the gender so, she's doing. Chris, how many Alexas do you have? Okay, this is a this is an incredibly important question. This is a personal question. I, I have three. <laughs> I have one in the kitchen, one in the living room, and I just put one in my bedroom. By oh man, it's getting my, it's getting intimate it's at this getting, point. Okay, here's the reason. Actually, for real, the reason is is because oh, let's listen to the rationalization that goes. No, on did here. you? You came to my party like a few months ago. Um, <laughs> we had a lot of people, and honestly, they're the best for like hooking speakers together, like through Spotify. So you can put a, like one in like the I have one in the kitchen, one living room hooked up to speakers, and then in, in like my bedroom. I don't know because I want to party in my bedroom. I don't know, but the <laughs> um, that you just you play a playlist. You say play on all the speakers, and it just works. It works in your whole house, and it's like twenty five bucks each. That is pretty slick. No, it's awesome. Yeah, and I can ask the weather anywhere. Part of my morning routine. The reason why it does two things in my bedroom, and it's not weird. It's just one like you can (laughs) set an alarm. You can set an alarm, which is nice. You can just say, "Alexa, wake me up in eight hours." Okay. Um, and you can uh like you can like ask the weather. So I'll wake up in the morning, sort of roll out groggy. I go start the coffee. Uh, I start the shower and I literally just ask Alexa, what's the weather today? And she's like, it's Chicago. It sucks. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's rainy and 37 degrees again. So I have a 20 year old clock radio with a CD player that <laughs> wakes me CD up every player. morning. <laughs> That's amazing. And I tell you what, it, it has a weekend sleep mode. So yeah. on Saturday and Sunday, it, it doesn't go off. The rest of the week, it goes off at the same time. And when I need to check the weather, I open a window. 
<laughs> on Chrome? I know, I do too, because it's, it's the fastest way to <laughs> just check the window. <laughs> oh, oh, you man. mean an actual window. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. So, Chris, uh, we're talking about privacy today, and yeah. uh, you recently wrote an article for Christianity Today, a cover article about yeah, I privacy. Yeah, I did. And it was great. I really loved it. Uh, you uh, even showed me some early drafts, and I kind of got to give you my feedback, and we had a lot of fun just like batting these ideas around. But honestly, no, I know I you're my best say, critic, man. I'm, I'm what? <laughs> you're my best critic, or at least Good. one, or my loudest critic. One of the I yeah, loudest. <laughs> I, I would rather be your loudest than your best. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, um, it was. I called it um, fixing our privacy settings. Why Christians should worry less about protecting their information and think more about giving it away. And it was really fun to write. Yeah. And hard to write too, I think. It was. It was it was hard. Um, Challenging and, or at least. I mean, you I think you had some ideas about, and pulling it together. Yeah, I mean, I've been working on the topic for like honestly 2 or 3 years and that's part of why they asked me to do it. Um but even yeah, just back and forth with some of the editors at Christianity Today really arguing out like what is the theology of this and what's happening in our culture and and it was really a good process. So, when I think about privacy, I kind of like when I think about it kind of in the abstract, I, I feel like I glaze over a little bit. Hmm. And so asking the expert, like, why why do you think like I should care about privacy? Well, I think you already do care about privacy because <laughs> I've watched <laughs> you with your iPhone. Uh, you're the only guy I know that like opens location settings, like the whole list of apps and scrolls down and manually marks like, okay, wow. Uh, location while using the app or never allow my location <laughs> like and you you individually tune the settings most people were like i don't even know where that menu is <laughs> absolutely i i do care about that i don't like big brother and i don't like i don't like faceless There's a phrase. i don't mm-hmm. like faceless organizations knowing stuff about me that i have no control over yeah and right? and don't know what they're going to do it with Wow, you just said that pretty it. passionately. Really, you don't know if you care about the word privacy. <laughs> I'm just so saying, people like, like think I, about Facebook, right? They think about corporations, like um, they think about government. You just said Big Brother. Yeah. Like, I mean, um, five years ago we had the whole Edward Snowden thing, where it was like, is the government listening to our phone calls? And then you know, it was just right. call records, but it was still this sort of, you know, what if. Like people think about their credit card numbers getting stolen from computers, like at stores. And Facebook, you know, this year has had a ton of stuff. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was in front of Congress. Yeah. Uh, like, well, they all grilled him on like, you know, where our information goes and who can see what. Like, yeah, he got he got really grilled by Congress. <laughs> so, but but well, I feel like he also had to explain like, like a, how computers work. But yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, fear and maybe a little fear mongering totally. around privacy. And a lot of confusion, I think. Right. And it's, you know, it kind of comes in this culture of fake news. And so we're not quite sure what to believe yeah. or who to believe or about what. Um, and we've got these, you know, massive tech companies that are gathering a lot of data. And, you know, it's aggregated and maybe it's anonymized. But, like, we're, we don't know. And we're wondering, are they... What can they do with this data? How can they hurt me? Right. Or even the practicals like we started with is, is Alexa listening to us and what's happening with that? And you had to like 
pause Alexa because you didn't want it going <laughs> off we the whole time. This. That's true. Because yep. so uh, I was afraid if you actually said it, she would start answering you. She is not okay. a she. Yeah, right. Um, but so Alexa- you like to say there's like two big stories or narratives around this. Yeah. Right? Well, and yeah, you kind of brought out one of the big narratives in, in your article. Right, um, right, right. What was it? Yeah. So, I mean, I sort of started with, you started thinking about um, where in the Bible do you even look to be about privacy? Like, yeah, does the Bible even talk about privacy? Wait, do you look up anything? You know, and I, you know, I'm thinking of verses and I have a theology degree, right? And I've been a pastor, so I can think through verses, but I'm thinking, wow, if you just search for the word privacy, you're going to find like nothing. Yeah. You know, and um, I wound up looking at the dictionary of theological ethics and they had, you know, it's a 600 page huge book and they have all these entries and all these other topics and you, they had an entry on privacy. I'm like, awesome. So I flipped to the page for privacy. It is like one column on one part of one 600 page thing. (laughs) There's like three paragraphs and it says, uh, well, there's a couple examples of privacy. Um, Jesus talks to his disciples, in private ways when the crowds oh, aren't yeah. listening. Um, David dances naked in front of the troops. <laughs> What's the, that one? I don't know if you mentioned that one. <laughs> but actually talking about nakedness, Saul, it actually did mention, well, Saul uh, goes into a cave to relieve himself. But oh, I mean, yeah. that was, and they're like, that's an example of privacy in the scriptures. I'm like, okay, this is a very literal thing. And then, and then the entry just said, <laughs> well, the Bible is just not a very good source for privacy. Like that's oh, wow. what it said. Wow. I was like, I got to think that there's more to it than that, that God has something to say about what privacy is. And so I started thinking about two things. One, that privacy uh, is sort of a personal thing, like a relational thing. And this comes from some sociologists, some people thinking that people feel privacy, not just technologically or not just about like legally, but they think about it relationally. And one of the relational spots in Scripture that's really important, I think, about how we relate to each other is Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, when they're created and God creates them in the garden, um, you know, they sort of have this phrase, and we sort of know it. It's like they're naked and unashamed. More nakedness. Yeah, right, naked. But I think the nakedness is like, not to be like salacious, but it becomes this really important metaphor for um, how we know each other and sort of like, in this case, like Adam and Eve don't have privacy between themselves. And you could sort of see that as a picture of like marriage and intimacy. And I think that's not wrong. And like but vulnerability, they, maybe? And vulnerability, exactly. Okay. But there's also this, um, but it's also how they related to God. And the story of the sin and the fall is that the first thing they do when they sort of take over and they eat the apple and they say, I could be better than God, is they go and hide. And they go make clothes for themselves. Right, and they cover, right. like they're afraid sort of of each other and they're afraid of God. And I think there's a deep metaphor here. And uh, I've just sort of noticed it in the way that we live our lives. Um, it's 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 something called the intimacy paradox. Yeah, um, okay. Where like um, in a sinful world, we all sort of want to be known and loved, right? But it's right. actually, we're all pretty afraid of it. Like it becomes, so the way I say it, the phrase I use is um, the thing we want most is sort of to be known and loved. Um, and that only, uh, <laughs> the the the, the, uh, the most powerful fear we have is to be known and loved. Hmm. And I think that's a result of the curse and of Adam and Eve hiding. And I think that has something to say about privacy is really privacy or desire to hide. Is that part of the curse? 
interesting. So you're saying if we're obsessed with keeping things private, keeping things um, out of the public eye, away from the prying eyes of corporations, that that might be an expression of our fallenness? Yes and no. You used the word corporations, and I think I was started back at a more personal place. Okay. Right, and I started back at the way that people relate to people. Okay. And so, but, yeah. But that's not where we live today. I mean, just in the sense of like, when we talk about privacy and we talk about like, we're talking about privacy in a public sphere and we're talking about privacy um, in the context of like the digital space. Um, I mean, Alexa is an interface to this this massive public corporation. So I, I understand what you're saying though, that where privacy started and how and and where we start to think about it is relational and i and i agree with that um, and sort of personal i mean so you were telling me you had another narrative around this not the adam and eve yeah. narrative yeah so i i do have another narrative and it it is a very uh sort of i guess maybe a more contemporary narrative but i think it um it, it it's kind of a silly narrative too um or at least a silly example but i think it gets at a deeper again a deeper sense of um our fears around privacy. Mm. Um, so I read this book called the four dimensional human by Lawrence Scott. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's a super interesting read, but he, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I've started reading that too. Yeah. So he, uh, in one chapter starts talking about the movie scream. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to go to a horror <laughs> like, movie here. Like the white face. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. The, yeah. With the huge long oval. Yeah. Mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Like creepy. That's super Edward, creepy. Edvard Munch scream, all that. So, Here's his description, and I'll try and make it quick, but it's it's a little long. But his description is so good. Um, so, in this opening, Drew Barrymore plays the blonde maiden who loves movies such as Halloween, featuring the guy in the white mask. In postmodern fashion, she is discussing her favorite scary movies over the phone with one of her imminent white masked killers, who instigated the chat by pretending to be a wrong number. So her character, Casey Becker, is in a house in the middle of nowhere, and she paces around its illuminated ground floor, crossing abundant windows that reveal nothing but the blackness of the night. She is therefore in the vulnerable position of being on display to a potential legion of invisible observers from outside. Besides our awareness of what sort of film we're watching, the camera primes our uneasiness by by being itself an invisible eye that follows her from room to room while she banters over the phone with her killer. Wow. But the first pulse of pure terror hits when she asks, why do you want to know my name? And the coldly wooing male voice replies, because I want to know who I'm looking at. <laughs> but like seriously so like so, that is a Adam, picture it's so creepy <laughs> it's so creepy but like that's a picture of another narrative of how we think about privacy right right, right. and it's this it's this one-way mirror where i right. can see you but you can't see me 
Alexa is listening in on the conversation, but I don't know who's listening. In I exactly, and I have a thought about the way Scream is because I was just going to say this. That's actually a very personal, interpersonal it is. example. So I give you an interpersonal example about Adam and Eve and sort of this 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 freedom they felt and then sort of hiding. And you gave this per, very personal example about fear, and it's this really a woman inside this house, and this guy could be looking at her inside the wind the window. Yeah, right? like you're right. You're totally right. It's I, it's like it's a perversion of the Adam and Eve story in some way. Yeah, and I think I know why that's super scary for us, for the girl in the story and for us, because it really goes back to this professor. Her name is Helen Nissenbaum. Uh, she researches this stuff, and she has this theory called the contextual integrity of privacy. Have I bored you yet? Oh, my gosh. I'm starting <laughs> to glaze over again. The, the, context, the contextual integrity of privacy? Yeah, because okay. she started wondering, why do people feel like their privacy has been violated sometimes? Okay. Like there was, there were some cases where she found that people's privacy actually had been violated, but they didn't actually think it was. And other times where it actually hadn't, and they did feel like it was. And so she asked people a lot of questions about um, when is a time that your privacy has been violated. By the way, I started doing this. <laughs> so I got into her reading her stuff, and then I started asking this at parties. So I would, at parties? I would, <laughs> yeah, I might have asked you. Chris, at Wait, at parties? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know, you know, sitting around talking to people. I was like, hey, uh, the, I have a question. the life of the party, that's when, for sure. Yeah, I know, I'm amazing. <laughs> when was a time that you felt like your privacy was violated, and what happened? And people would answer this question. I mean, people, you jumped in on this right away. You know, people were like, oh, like, uh, and they'd have examples. A lot of times they'd be from, like, honestly, they'd be like a news story, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that, you know, one million passwords got hacked last week. Yeah. Or I saw that my credit card might have been stolen. And yeah, I so I had I mean I had I had my my card got hacked at one point and somebody tried to yeah, use it in like right. Brazil or something oh, at a gas oh, right, station. Right, right. And then I did have the case where uh they said uh, one of the Facebook hacks got me. Right when you had like a Facebook hack that, yeah, and and Facebook just like log logged me out, I guess. Oh right, right. Yeah. So people would have stories like this, but they would honestly, when you asked about how they felt about it, people actually didn't tend to have strong feelings. The strong feeling stories often came around more personal things. You know, um, someone had a friend read their journal and they didn't know it. Right. Um, a couple was trying to tell people. Um, that they're pregnant and someone else in the family found out before, you know, who they really wanted to tell first. And those things felt pretty confusing or hurtful. Oh, and, interesting. Um, and I realized that this Professor Nissenbaum sort of, she said that one of the things that affects us when we feel privacy violations is our sort of relational map around us. Like we sort of know who knows what. Right, right, right. So like you're my friend, you're a good friend of mine. I tell right. like I'll tell I'll tell you certain things about my life, but I because I've told you, you I know that you know. You yeah. know? Right. Now, if you tell somebody else and I don't know that that person knows, I might be okay with that other person knowing, but if the fact that I don't know that is what starts to feel weird. Yeah, or they they come and bring it up. You're like, "Whoa, how did you How did you know out? that?" You that's, and and right? that's that's an interesting question, right? You do, you like automatically want to know, "Okay, what's the how did the the relational network change 
so that I can just connect the dots. Even if you don't care, you just want to know how it happened. That's exactly right. And this is why we, sometimes we could talk to like a stranger, like a, can- or a, a cancer doctor, maybe about very intimate medical stuff with ourselves and feel fine. Yeah. Because it's not like they have to be close to us, but we know that they know and we know why. So is that like the contextual part? Like there's this, there are That's certain right. like contexts where we have etiquette almost or or expectations around those we start getting, scenarios yeah we start getting lost we feel like we don't know what happened we don't have the map in our head and that's what happens on facebook privacy settings when someone shares something and then it feels weird and like i don't know who saw that there's like in one example is if you share you know a picture from a party probably my party again you know we're all we're, we're using right. alexa to play all that music uh <laughs> you show a picture of a party on facebook and then like your boss at work says how was that party this weekend yeah and yeah, yeah. when you and you're like what why how do you know this and then you realize okay well you are facebook friends with them on facebook and so it's natural that they would see that but they're not who you think of seeing that when you share something on facebook and so that throws you for a loop it feels like your privacy got violated even though the technology did exactly what it was supposed to do because they were in the friend group or whatever yeah yeah i saw Um, i saw some research that was looking at um how how comfortable people felt uh if a if a person they didn't know commented on a picture they were in and oh, right. their, yeah. so their level of comfort went up as the number of people in the picture went up. Yeah, that and, makes sense. And right. the fewer people that were in the picture, totally. if they they felt they felt more concerned when someone they didn't know commented on that picture. Totally. This stuff's really interesting. So I, I found that was really interesting. And I found Asking all these questions, I also found that people had sort of three different types of reactions to okay. when they felt like, when they started feeling like a lot of privacy violations were happening. So I have these, here are my three types of the way people react when they feel like their privacy is violated. Okay, three types. The first I think is, uh, I call it the country type. <laughs> and I don't mean like country people i just mean i don't know i'm gonna do country suburbs and cities okay okay uh, the country type is sort of like people react with by isolating themselves um or safety so it's like, i picture like move out to the farm and be like an acre and a half away from the nearest <laughs> house you know and the i'm doing a country bumpkin voice which i promise not to do and the but i mean the idea is like sort of move far away as possible and digitally the equivalent like as a metaphor is like delete facebook get off there you know don't be online like i have a like friend hide with, all my location settings yeah <laughs> yeah yeah like you uh yeah. but well actually even more than that i think it's um yeah it's like try to sort of step out of the arena where you feel like things are are gonna get in danger or you feel like you can't handle the map so i've sort of see it's about isolation it's about safety and i and i um i think this is the country approach uh i think the the suburbs approach is sort of more of a defensive approach. And I picture this as like with houses and rows and they still, they don't move away from everybody. They stay in the neighborhood, but the garage doors down and the security system is on. So that person is checking all their settings on their iPhone all the time, metaphorically, Adam Graber. Oh, okay. And so that is me. <laughs> I think you're more the suburbs type. Right. We're like, you're concerned a lot about like you try to participate, but you're very concerned about, you know, fearful, about what might go wrong and concerned about adjusting the settings. All right. So I, I'm, I'm staying engaged on social media on the internet but i'm uh clamping down 
in as many ways as possible to share as little as possible. Well, to try to like control it, you're trying to control that map as much as you can around you, and you're trying to know it constantly. The and relational it's a little map, bit, and it's a little exactly, and it's a little bit anxiety-producing too. The city approach, the third approach, is sort of this. I don't know anonymous approach like where everybody shares and nobody cares it's like <laughs> okay. um i mean i mean you know i live downtown and like there are condo buildings all over the place big tall condo buildings rows of windows on one side rows of windows on the other side and if you walk out on somebody's balcony when you're in one of those condos and look out you can sort of see into a bunch of windows just right across the way there's just all these private yeah. residents yeah and you sort of see little figures of people moving around and you sort of get used to it. I think at first it feels like, whoa, uh, everyone's looking into each other's living rooms. Yeah, but then yeah, you're yeah. just like, eh, I'm just I'm just one of the specks of people. For them, when they look out, I'm just one of the specks of people moving around. They yeah. could sort of watch me, but why would they? Yeah. Uh, they're going about their life. I'm going about my life. It's like when we sit in a coffee shop and we all have a private conversation and there's a hundred other people around us having a private conversation. And you could sort of listen in if you wanted to, but like it feels like you're anonymous and who cares? Okay, so it's so that's the city it's, approach. It's, it's like Drew Barrymore in Scream, except, and the guy can watch, but he really doesn't care, or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess so. Like it's it's feeling that someone is not really going to do you any harm, and they're probably not going to actually notice you. So you put that out there anyway. So are you saying um, that their anonymity is sort of their protection? The anonymity is the protection, yeah. The anonymity and sort of the sheer number of people there are. Totally. So in the city is like, eh, anonymity protects me. In the suburbs, it's like, figure out all the privacy settings, keep the doors down. And the country is like, just get out completely. Huh. And so I think these are the three. I don't know which you are. I think you are the suburbs guy. <laughs> But I think hey, all don't of us, box me in. <laughs> I'll, don't label I me. Box you in. But I think all of us sort of maybe have one of these three approaches, at least, you know, I mean, obviously there's others, but maybe these are some of the three ways that people think. Okay, um, but you're, you're not saying that this is the approach that people in the city take. This no. is the approach that people in the suburbs take. This is the approach that people in the country take. You're saying these, are, these represent three attitudes right. towards... Uh, self-disclosure, personal data, um, that a, a person living out in the boonies could have an urban sort of uh, attitude. Sure, right, exactly. It's not literal. These are sort of the three metaphors that I thought really shape or describe the way we talk about how we react in a world of digital information, uh, how we react about privacy. Know, there's there's urban suburban rural but like is there is there a kingdom view of privacy right is there what does that look like is there a christian how does a christian think about all this yeah i mean if we're if we're moving toward the kingdom of god if we're if we're living in that direction how do we how do we go there and I don't think that verse about Saul peeing in the cave is going to be the one that helps us. <laughs> I think the is it, first is it, thing I... Is it David dancing before the troops? <laughs> yeah, right. Is it the person in power being most vulnerable? <laughs> is it, maybe. The place I started was um, this idea that God sees everything. 
like in my church, we always pray this this prayer to start. It starts with like, um, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open and all desires are known. And from you, no secrets are hid. Like, mm. you know, it's in, like God knows everything. I was like, what, is it, what does the world look like, you know, in the kingdom where God sees all? I was like, do we see all too? I was like, well, no, not really. We're like creatures, you know. Yeah, I talked about this more about the article, but um, on how I sort of frame that up. But like, um, we can't know everything. But we can, maybe there is some sin in the way we hide. And God does see all. And the reason why I can start to be vulnerable, at least my personal experience, I don't know about you, is I've been in some cool churches that have really like had people, like in my small group, and groups where I've gotten together, you know, on a Thursday right. night and we eat right. dinner together and then we talk about some scripture, but we also talk a lot about life. And those groups become sort of really trusted groups. Like we talk about, you know, how work is going, our career, or how our relationships are. Right. And people share some pretty vulnerable things and it becomes a deep place of mutual encouragement and celebration. And those groups become the more the more vulnerable we become i think the more we start to feel the spirit of god work between us and among us yeah yeah i'm i'm just remembering uh i think um uh, my sister telling a story of a small group that she and her husband were in where uh one of the couples like had a miscarriage and yeah and the the wife just kind of broke down and said i'm so angry at god right now and yeah. and how that took the whole group to a new level of connection and intimacy because there was vulnerability that happened. Sure. And I know for myself that um, some of the greatest sort of transformation in my own life has come through the opportunity to be vulnerable and be open and to um, choose to disclose to others and to feel safe doing it. Yeah, I think there's something about this that actually speaks to a wider world. I really do. In like, um, you know, Paul and Corinthians assumes that literally sexuality and sexual choices of individuals affects the whole church and the community. Um, you know, there's a professor out at Fuller that points out, I think it's uh, Mark Robertson, that points out that, um, you know, the qualifications for a leader in the church have to do with all these really personal things that we don't talk about, like your home oh, finances yeah. and how you discipline your children and right. how much alcohol you drink and all these things <laughs> we would think like, that's a pretty private question. But like that the that the community, it does affect people and the community actually maybe a little bit more than American culture allows for, yeah, actually yeah. does have a sense of vulnerability to it that as, as it becomes more healthy. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think when we think about sort of um, not just authenticity, but uh, accountability, we think about some of those things. Like we feel most betrayed by leaders who um, haven't been forthright. Right. Or, or, you know, it's not even just leaders. I mean, it's just our own friends and family when something comes to light that they didn't reveal, but is revealed about them or revealed right. through circumstances or whatever, you know, and um, yeah, that secrecy creates a rift. Um, the, the revelation of that secret is a rift rather than an opportunity for connection when, when if they choose to be vulnerable, um, it can actually be that opportunity for healing and growth and a deepening of relationship. So I think the question on people's mind is like, okay, I like that. I like a vulnerable community. How would 
um, like something in a nice, great small group where people are truly vulnerable about their lives has anything to do with how we live in a digital private world, you know, with Alexa or credit cards. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I th I'll just have to make one point. People have to sort of read the article and then get back to me and decide whether they think it leaps. But I think this is the key point. I think the way we live in regular old neighborhood church communities and sort of the habits we build there and the way we relate to each other actually uh -huh. has a huge effect on the way we relate to the world of corporations and governments and bigger systems. That the examples we set in small communities and the norms we set there um, spill into and affect our ethics and our morals of living in a wider place. And the reason I can become safe and vulnerable with somebody down the street, a neighbor or someone in my church is because God is the one that protects me and God is the one that knows me. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to trust myself to try to protect myself and, and freak out, but that God is the one that does that. And I think right, that winds right. up becoming, that reconfigures my sense of moving in the world, of not having to live in fear, but live under protection. So, So you're saying like the the practice of being vulnerable that we sort of take on in the church and if the church, you know, by God's grace can create a safe place for people to be vulnerable that as those, we become accustomed to that as we get comfortable being vulnerable, that that kind of spills over into other areas of our lives outside of the church uh, as such. And I think it's not only just does that, but it becomes one of our biggest opportunities ever. In a world of digital anxiety, in a world where we're worried about credit card breaches or if the government is watching or if Facebook or Alexa is listening, Christians that are actually vulnerable with each other and know each other and invite other people into that same stuff effortlessly and easily become the most beautiful witness. And I think it's an opportunity for us. An opportunity to show the world the love of the love and protection of God and the, mm. <laughs> and the way the world the way it really can be hmm. all right, I haven't glazed over i I feel like uh there is very much um there's more than three paragraphs that the Bible has to say about privacy i think is is what what I'm saying awesome um and I think, uh, I do agree. Uh, uh, go read Chris's article. It's in the, it's online, wherever books are sold. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, Christian Chinay, today. the yeah. article is called fixing our privacy settings. Why Christians should worry less about protecting their information and think more about giving it away. Awesome. This is, Really interesting, Chris. I'm glad you wrote it. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Okay, Chris. Last but not least, it's time for Vice and Virtue. Yes. High-rise condos. Vice or Ooh. Virtue? Ooh. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, oh, man. I got to say... Uh, Look, condos, the lookout over the lake, because people forget that Chicago is a beach city. There's 17 miles of beach and paths. A condo with a big wall that looks like over the lake 
and by the way, uh, there was this tower that people refer to as Oprah's tower because they said Oprah lived in it for a while. Oh yeah, and she's right, like right. it's the furthest out, like uh, <laughs> on the on the city. It looks out of Renee Pier over thing. I've it's heard the that only she thing. Did. It's the only thing east of Lakeshore Drive, right? Something yeah, exactly. Like it's the only one out there. I always look at that thing. I'm like, oh, one day when I'm super rich, uh, being a Christian writer and pastor. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that I will get to, you know, live out there. So I totally think it's a virtue. It's just you can see the heavens. You can see the heavens, which declare the glory of God. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to have to say... It's a tough one for you. High-rise condos. I mean, do people really know their neighbors? Do you, even, do you even have neighbors when you live in a high-rise condo? Yeah, you just I mean, watch them. There's so much anonymity. <laughs> yeah, you just you just watch them. You don't actually talk to them. Right. Um, I mean, I am I'm fairly convinced that there are not uh, high-rise condos in the kingdom of God in the New Jerusalem, and okay, so we all live. We all have country houses. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, have you seen the Good Place? There are no oh, high-rise condos there, oh, so yeah, I'm going to say mansion. I'm definitely going to say it's a vice. Uh, well, that's how I figured it would work, um, but that's how it usually works here in Device and Virtue. That's how it usually uh, works. I mean, you're on one side, and I'm on the other. Uh, but you know privacy, what? what? For Christians, there's a middle yeah. way. That's <laughs> I'm glad, and I hope we can find. Uh, honestly, I love talking like that around the privacy thing. So thanks for bringing this topic up. I liked talking about it. Yeah, you bet. It was a great conversation. Thanks, See Chris. You next time, man. Hey, let's keep the conversation going. I think it's an argument. <laughs> okay. Tweet to us at Device Virtue. And for links and show notes, check us out at deviceandvirtue.com. And do leave us some love by rating us on iTunes. Yeah, please do. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.